so wonderful to be with you in worship today. Been looking forward to being at this historic and now seemingly brand new church. This morning I want to spend some time with you in the Gospel of Luke in the 12th chapter. If you would turn there if you have a Bible. And I will start reading in verse 22. Let's, uh, let's ask God's blessing. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you that we could be together. We thank you for your word. And we thank you that this word beyond all earthly powers is powerful enough to dispel our fears, our worries, our anxieties, anything that we might bring uh, into this space today. Speak to us, Lord, by the living word, Jesus Christ, and everyone said. Amen. Listen to these words. And Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have re neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's the word of the Lord. So I want to spend some time looking carefully at verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now of all the metaphors Jesus could have chosen to describe his group of friends, as you can see in the text here, he likens them to a small flock of sheep. 
As you heard from Pastor Jenna earlier, I, I grew up in the Netherlands. In fact, I grew up in the city, the city of The Hague. And I think it was uh, maybe my 12th year before I actually saw a live sheep. So I really don't know the first thing about sheep. So I had to do some digging on the interwebs. Uh, did you know, I mean, you, you may actually already know this. Did you know there are, there's more than 100 ways a sheep can die. Did you know this? There's more than 100 ways a sheep can die, and I have it on good authority because I found a website called the National Sheep Association from the United Kingdom, and they seemed reputable because there's 33 million sheep in England, and so they, they, this is the governing body that deals with all things sheepish in England. So I figured it seemed reliable. Okay, so again, some, for some of you, this, to the city slickers, among us, this is new information. Some of you already know this. But did you know that when a sheep gets too much water in their wool fleece, it gets waterlogged, and they get hypothermia, and then they die? Well, being around water is a bit of a catch-22, because if they don't have enough water, they get thirsty, and then they die of thirst. Uh, they can eat too much perennial ryegrass. I mean, who knew? eat too much perennial ryegrass, they develop these nasty tremors as a result of the neurogenic toxins in the ryegrass, and then they die. Uh, some eat too much protein, others eat too much red clover, and then they die. You have a very bright congregation. Some of the sadder forms of death of the sheep is uh, called twin lamb disease, where one or of the two of the twins dies. Uh, and other sheep get fly strike, which is a, a, maybe as you know, a particularly nasty form of the maggots, and then they die. Uh, th here, here's one of the saddest ones. Did you know that 20 to 30% of merino wool sheep. And that, so you know merino wool sweaters. How many of you have one? Little hats, the merino wool socks. This is what you wear during the subarctic winters in Holland, Michigan. Well, did you know that 20 to 30% of the merino wool sheep actually get abandoned by their mothers and then they die? So think about that next time you wear your socks. One of, the, one of the most puzzling deaths that I learned about that actually did not make it on the list of the National Sheep Association website, but I found online, I found that there's a farmer, uh, Gordon Wyeth is his name, of the West Dean Sussex Estate. One morning, he gets to his farm, and 116 of his sheep are as dead as a doornail. 116 sheep have died in one night. He gets out in the fields. Some of his sheep had been pregnant. They were all clustered up against a fence, up against the woodside, and he had no idea why they were dead. So, of course, they send in Sergeant Tom Carter of the Sussex Police Department, and he said that he was all but 100% certain that the death of these 116 sheep was caused by, by dogs. But it's, it's not what you think. They were not mauled by dogs. They died of this phenomenon called sheep worrying. In other words, they got spooked. 
I quote from the newspaper. So, I mean, it's in the newspaper, so it must be, I think this is a real thing. Here, here's, here's, what, here's, what, here's what Sergeant Tom Carter says about the mysterious death of these 116 sheep, and I promise you there is a point to this. He says, I have never seen or heard of sheep worrying on this scale, and this was a terrible sight. While there are no signs of any of the sheep being savaged, we are all but 100% certain that their deaths were brought about by dogs. So, so I'm trying to do the math here. 116 sheep are dead. Not one of them has been savaged. So this is death by sheep worrying, death by anxiety, death by worry. There are no bite marks. There are no bloody gashes. There is no sign of actual attack. There is no disfigurement. It is death by barking, death by gnarling teeth, death by canine aggression and canine intimidation, death by sheep worrying. They, they were afraid that they were going to get eaten alive. This is, this is why 116 sheep got spooked and they stampeded together. They killed each other because they were afraid of death by lateral incisors, death by sheep worrying. I mean, these dogs, they are all bark, no bite, and 116 sheep. It cost, it cost the poor farmer 17,000 pounds in lost revenue, stampeded by sheep worrying. Now, I, I, know, I know we've just met, but as I look at this congregation this morning, I can only imagine that some of you right now are hearing dogs bark. Some of you are worried to death about a son or a daughter, about your finances, about your health. Now, two weeks ago, I was at O'Hare Airport on my way to Minnesota, and I overheard three families talking about how they had to go to the Mayo Clinic, and it seemed just from their, from their posture, from their facial expression, that they had exhausted every possible option of medical care, and the only place they could go was the Mayo Clinic, and I was wondering what kinds of dogs they're hearing bark right now. Some of you can't work. Some of you can't sleep. Some of you are so sick of, of worry that it is almost debilitating. One of, the, one of the most remarkable things here is that Jesus in this passage in chapter 12 actually offers us worried people, anxious people, people who live with all kinds of fears and anxieties, real or imagined, because it, really it doesn't really matter if the dogs are really biting, but if you're that afraid, you're, you're afraid you're going to die. And uh, what I want to offer you today is some, just some good news for anxious people. Maybe there might be someone here who's not anxious at all today. You're having the, the best day of your life, and you've got three Wilhelmina peppermints right now. You're, you're good to go. Uh, you're, that's all you want. But I, I want to offer you some good news for, for anxious people. And here, here's, the, here's the first bit of good news, and it may seem a little bit counterintuitive, and it may actually make the people that have invited me question whether or not they should have. But the first bit of good news for anxious people is that you don't have to worry about whether or not you're going to die, because you're going to die. <laughs> and somehow I find that strangely 
liberating. You are all going to die. Fear not, little flock. The little flock at some point is gonna die. Jesus knows this. Jesus is intimately acquainted with their mortality. And he doesn't say anywhere in this passage whatsoever that their death is not going to happen. No, in fact, the, he compares them to grass. The grass withers and it fades and it's here today and gone tomorrow. He knows this. So don't, so don't worry, don't be anxious. First bit of good news because you're going to die. I have a second point, it's equally inspiring. Do you wanna hear it? <laughs> so don't worry about this world being a safe place. It's not, it's not. I mean, what wonderful news. You're going to die and the world is not a safe place. Clearly, if you look, if you have your Bible open, look with me, who Jesus is talking to and what prompts his teaching about anxiety? If you have your Bible open, look in verse four. First, first in verse four, Jesus is addressing people and he says this, I tell you my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. So it, it, doesn't, it doesn't tell us why they're afraid of there being someone who is going to kill the body but they, they realize it's, potential situation that they're afraid about. So we, we're not told if they're afraid of being tortured or beheaded or hung or crucified, but clearly for the people that Jesus is addressing in verse four, this world is not a safe place and they're worried that they're gonna die. Then look in the text in verse 11. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you're gonna say. Again, we don't know why this particular group is being brought in front of the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, but clearly they're nervous about this. They're wondering what are they gonna say? What's gonna to happen to us? Jesus says, don't even worry about it. the Holy Spirit is gonna tell you exactly what you should say. We, we don't know what kind of charges that they're gonna be brought up on, why they, having been to, why they have been indicted, and why they should have to defend themselves, but we know is that they are anxious. They're anxious about dying, and they're anxious about being brought forth on charges. You can, you can just sense that the, the temperature is, is rising in the audience that Jesus is addressing. I think one of the most fascinating points in the Gospel of Luke is in verse 13. This odd thing happens. It says someone, someone in the crowd in the middle of Jesus teaching, it might, might as well be here right now. Someone in the crowd says this, hey teacher, tell my brother to, to divide the inheritance with me. Can you imagine if somebody in the fifth row over here said, hey preacher, can you tell my brother over here that we need to split grandpa's nest egg because he's obviously left us some money. There's an inheritance that's been left. Hey, Jesus, can you, can you figure it out? Because we want to get our grubby little hands on the money because if we have money, we have a future. And if we have a future, we have some sense of security because this is what we do when we worry. We, we feel that we need to cling and to clutch and to grab because we are afraid of the future and we're afraid that we're going to run out. We're not sure that God is going to provide and protect. Now, they're afraid they're gonna die, they're afraid they're gonna run out of money, they're afraid they're gonna get thrown into jail. 
And then look what Jesus does next. He tells this story, he tells this parable. He says, oh, there's this man, and he wants to tear down his barns and build larger ones so that he can store grain. Well, why does he want to store grain? Well, he's concerned about the future. He's concerned about running out. He wants to double down on his 401k. He is stockpiling for the future because he's not sure if he's going to be okay tomorrow. He, he wants to make sure that he has the reins of life firmly in his control. Because Jesus is talking to them because he knows they're freaking out. They're worried about death. They're worried about the future. They're worried about synagogue leaders. They hear the dogs barking. Death by synagogue. Death by starvation, death by neglect, death by running out. And Jesus knows that they are looking for all these contingency plans, plans that secure the future. We want to be able to predict. We want to be able to control. So far, the good news is that you don't have to worry about whether or not you're, die, you're going to die, you're going to. The world is not a safe place. But then thirdly, you don't have to worry because God actually knows about your trouble. This is what I think is one of the most remarkable things. Jesus actually acknowledges their concern. He, notice he, he doesn't say, oh, you're not, gonna get be, you're not gonna be brought up in front of the Sanhedrin. You might be. You don't have to worry about not going to jail. He doesn't say that. No, you might be going to jail. So he actually acknowledges the fact that worry and concern is a, is a normal part of your life. He even says it. Look in verse 29. Don't seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink. Don't be worried. The nations, the pagans, they look after these things. And, and then this is the good news. He says, your, your heavenly father already knows. Think about that for a moment. That whatever, whatever dogs you are hearing bark right now, Whatever those concerns are, I, w I wish I could have a, a sit down with every single one of you and, and we would talk about the areas in your life where you most need to hear this. And, you, and then you hear, you hear the good news of Jesus where he says, actually, I already know that. It is amazing that our Heavenly Father knows every single one of our concerns. That is some, some good news for anxious people, that Jesus at least acknowledges that to be human is to worry. It is a, it is a universal experience. He knows about our need for clothing. He knows about our concerns for body and for soul. He knows about our worries for money. He knows that we are afraid that we are going to run out. He knows that there are always dogs barking and that we are going to be afraid. But he says, fear, fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. When I grew up in the Netherlands, my my grandparents were towering figures in my life. Uh, my grandfather was the pastor of two small Baptist churches, and together with his wife and my grandmother, they ran a number of ministries in a small town just outside Zwolle, the Netherlands. And uh, my, grand, my grandfather, Joop, was of the, of the stout 
and very strong and courageous Baptist variety. I remember him telling me the story that in the winter of 1944, a young German officer stopped him while he was riding his bike on the way to a pastoral visit. And the young man, he didn't know what Baptist preacher he was dealing with, but the young man had the audacity to tell my grandfather that he needed to get off of his bicycle and that his bicycle was now confiscated, that he needed it. You know what my grandfather does? If you know anything about World War II in the Netherlands, you realize that this is not, uh, he's a trained professional, don't try this at home. He, he looks at the young man and he taps him on the shoulder and he says, young man, what is your name? And what is your rank? And who is your commanding officer? I wanna know. You can imagine the young officer was startled. He didn't know what Baptist minister he was dealing with. And my grandfather proceeds to explain to him that it is not his right, it is not his prerogative to take this bicycle because this bicycle belongs to the kingdom of Jesus and he needs of it and he's paid for it and he's gonna have use of, it, use of it. So that bike belongs to me. So don't you dare ask me for that bike. And then he bikes off. <laughs> at, at, at one point, the, the church building that housed the Baptist church of my grandfather and grandmother was confiscated by the Waffen-SS. And let me explain the way this worked. The, it was a three-story building, still there to this day. The, the top floor they wanted to use because it was a regional headquarters because of the vantage point over the entire region. They would be able to, to see uh, what was happening as a lookout post. And then the... The main floor was the sanctuary and a fellowship hall and a kitchen. And then the bottom floor had like a basement area. And the, uh, the Waffen-SS confiscated that church. For some reason, my grandfather was not able to tell them that this belonged to the kingdom of God. <clears throat> At one point in uh, the year my mom was born, in 1943, my grandparents decided it was a great idea to begin hiding Jewish families and resistance workers in the basement of that same building where the headquarters was now located. Because they figured the last place they're probably gonna look is in the basement of this very building where they're housed. I remember asking my grandmother, I said, Grandma, like with all, with all due respect, like what were you thinking? Because if you would get caught if they would find out what you were up to right under, the, under their noses, they wouldn't even bother putting you on a train. They would, they would probably just shoot you on the spot. And I remember asking, I was always puzzled because my grandparents didn't actually have a lot of money. They, they actually lived off the kindness of other people. Sometimes the baker would drop by some bread, sometimes the greengrocer, some vegetables. A chicken would show up, somebody would drop off some eggs. I mean, they did not have a lot of money. So I, I remember asking my grandmother, so were you, were you ever not worried that you were going to run out? You, it's not like you had an abundance of food. And not only did you have five children, now you've got anywhere from 12 to 18 people who are stowaways in this building. What, like, what are you doing for food? I, I will never forget what she said. She said, Tim, you must know, in the kingdom of God, there is always enough. 
the kingdom of God, there is always, I've never forgotten that she said that. I, I remember asking her, I said, Grandma, was there ever a time where you were afraid for your life? Or did you ever have any close calls? And she said, yes, there was, there was one time. She remembered it vividly on a Sunday evening. They were done with the day's work of ministry. She was cleaning up in the church's kitchen, and a German soldier came down from the top floor uh, through the fellowship hall into the sanctuary that was adjacent to the kitchen, and we, she said, we, we kind of bumped into each other, and right as we locked eyes, there was a noise that came from the basement. And it was, it was clear that at that time of night, uh, there, there should be no one else in the building, and there was not supposed to be anyone there. And it, it, she said, it, she said, I saw my life flash before my eyes because I looked at him and I know that he had heard it and he knew that I knew that he knew that I knew that there were people down there. And I thought this was the end of it. But she said, you won't believe what he did. He, he pointed down at the basement and then he motioned to me. And then he walked over to the church organ in the corner of that sanctuary. And he began playing it. She says, I couldn't believe it. He began playing hymns, Lutheran hymns. Must have learned them at his church back home. And she knew from that day on that the kingdom of God was strong enough and big enough and new and bold enough that she could trust and not be anxious. My entire adult life, I've been trying to figure out what is it that my grandfather and grandmother knew about the kingdom? Don't you want to live that way? Don't you want to live with that kind of courage, with that kind of freedom, with that kind of mentality, with that kind of disposition? I've always wanted to know what is it that they knew and understood about the kingdom of God that allowed them to live like that because somehow they had discovered the antidote to anxiety. I've always wanted to know, what is it that they know and understand and believe about Jesus that when the Nazi dogs are barking, they are unfazed? I've always wanted to know. I think Jesus, in this verse 32, actually gives us the antidote to our concerns and our anxieties. Fear, fear not, little flock, because it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Yeah, so, so you're, you're going to die. The world is not a safe place, but the Father knows about your kingdom, and now the solution, or the Father knows about your trouble, and the solution to your trouble, the antidote to it is the gift of the kingdom. Now, I don't know if I'm allowed to to say this at such a historic church, but I've always been troubled by Jesus' lack of clarity about the kingdom. Why does he not anywhere give us like a textbook definition of the kingdom? I, I'm getting at least one nod over here. Somebody agrees with me. 
Don't you just wish that one day he would say, the kingdom of God is A, B, and C. It's like no, nowhere. There, there, is, there is nothing like it. What we get is like, let me tell you a story. The kingdom of God is like a, a raucous party thrown for a prodigal son. The kingdom of God is like a sower in a, in a field. The kingdom of God is like a merchant of pearls who finds a pearl greater than which none exists, and he sells absolutely everything for the joy of that kingdom. The kingdom of God is like a widow who's lost a coin. She goes to look for it, but she can't find it. The kingdom of God is, is all these, it's like a light. It's like, I mean, it's almost as if the kingdom of God is so big and it is so long and so high and so wide that Jesus doesn't think that there's any word in the, the human language that could possibly convey what it is that God is doing. So, so I, I want to take a I don't want to be presumptuous, but I want to take a stab at explaining and defining. You want to hear it, what the kingdom actually is? I think when you put everything together that Jesus has been teaching, everything he has been exemplifying and saying, the kingdom of God is everything Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been doing from before the beginning of time into the present and will do all the way into the future and it is given to you as a gift for your healing, for your restoration, for your life, for your salvation. The kingdom of God is everything Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been cooking up from before the beginning of time and it's given to you as a gift. That's the kingdom. And, and this, the, in other words, the kingdom of God, think of this, it is the, the cumulative, redemptive work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and it is not yours to accomplish, but he says it's given to you gift, and in fact, it is the Father's good pleasure to give it to you as a gift. Often we think the kingdom is something we accomplish, something that we, we do, but no, it is... I, I am an heir to this. Now, now all of a sudden, it makes sense because Jesus is saying, hey, I know some of you all are afraid that you're gonna die, but you've got the kingdom. Some of you are afraid that you're going to be thrown in front of the Sanhedrin and who knows what they're gonna do with you, but don't worry, you've got the kingdom. Some of you are worried. You got, you're worried that you're not gonna get what's coming to you and that's why you're arguing with your brother. But why would you worry about that when you have the cumulative redemptive impact of everything Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are gonna do to you? Why would you settle for an inheritance if you've got the kingdom? I mean, look at, look at the response, what Jesus says right after this. I mean, this, this one... This would blow their mind. He says, don't clutch, don't grab, don't take money bags for yourself because you think that somehow in your little money belt, you can actually guarantee the, your life and your future. No, you got something better coming. So get, he says, give your money away. Give it to the poor. Give it to the people who actually need something because you have your heavenly father who is looking out for you. Oh, don't, don't you want to know what Jesus knows about the kingdom? Because it is only that that will make our fears and anxieties go away. 
Again, I, I have no idea what kind of b dogs are barking in your life, but I know that they are barking. And I don't know if they are all bark and no bite, whether or not your fears are real or imagined. But friends at Pillar, know this, that the Lord Jesus Christ faced anxiety, set his face like flint to go to the cross, to face death so that you and I wouldn't have to in that way. Oh, fear not, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. May he apply this word. May he overwhelm the fears, even right now as you sit here, and that when you leave today, you would leave with the joy and the lightness and the confidence and the abundance and the freedom of somebody who has been given the cumulative impact of everything Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are doing. Fear not, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that we might see what you see about the kingdom, that we might know what you know, and that this knowledge would be enough for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.